Welcome to episode 298 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, biohacker and author of What Win Wine. Lose weight and feel great with paleo-style meals, intermittent fasting, and wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Cynthia Thurlow, nurse practitioner and author of Intermittent Fasting Transformation, the 45-day program for women to lose stubborn weight, improve hormonal health, and slow aging. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and cynthiatherlow.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this show do not constitute medical advice or treatment, and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. So, pour yourself a mug of black coffee, a cup of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi, friends. I'm about to tell you how to get three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of premium grass-fed, grass-finished steak tips, all for free, plus $20 off. That's right. We're talking pounds of meat for free, plus $20 off. Friends, I love meat and seafood. My favorite way to get it is ButcherBox. It has been for years, and it's one of those things where I just sort of become more and more obsessed the more I use it. Especially with all the greenwashing that's going on today with meat and seafood, there's a lack of transparency, it can be hard to know what you're actually getting, and it can be expensive. ButcherBox addresses all of that. By directly partnering with farmers and fishermen, ButcherBox cuts out the middleman of the grocery store and directly delivers delicious meat and seafood straight to your door. And they have the highest standards. Their salmon, for example, is wild caught. Their beef is 100% grass fed and 100% grass finished. Their chicken is free range and organic, and it all tastes delicious. I love their chicken, love their meat, love their seafood. They have amazing scallops as well. And you can really find the collection of food that you want that works for you and your family. They have curated boxes, so you can get exactly what you want as fresh as possible because yes, meat and seafood that is immediately frozen is fresher than meat that is waiting out and never frozen. That's because it's frozen at its peak of freshness. It's funny because people kind of think it would be the opposite. Like, oh, I need never frozen meat and seafood. No, 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 no. You want frozen. You want meat and seafood that was immediately frozen and then shipped to you, which is what ButcherBox does. I eat a lot of steak at restaurants. ButcherBox's fillets are divine, way better than anything I would get at a restaurant. Their other cuts are amazing as well. With their seafood, I know I can trust them that I'm actually getting what they say because yes, there is a lot of scams in the seafood industry and their chicken also tastes amazing. It's free range and organic and tastes delicious. With ButcherBox, you don't have to worry about what's for dinner and ButcherBox has an incredible offer for our audience. You can have your choice of a weeknight meal essential for free in every order for a whole year. Just go to butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use ifpodcast to choose either three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of grass-fed, grass-finished premium steak tips plus $20 off. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use code ifpodcast to choose your free offer and get that $20 off. ButcherBox.com slash IFPodcast with code IFPodcast. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. 
One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed, but with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 298 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Cynthia Thurlow. Hi, Melanie. Hi, Cynthia. Can I tell you a story and also ask you a question? They're unrelated. Of course. Okay, great. (laughs) This week, I had a really crazy moment. I had two interviews for press-related stuff, and I was prepping for one of the interviews. You might have seen this on my story, so I'm sorry if I'm telling the story again. I was prepping for one of the interviews, and I knew one of the questions was going to be about being a female entrepreneur. So I Googled, well, in DuckDuckGo, but it happened in Google too, I checked. So in DuckDuckGo, I Googled. tips, female entrepreneur. The first hit, literally the first hit 
was an article from Forbes and it was the one I was in. And not only was it the first hit, but the preview text was my part of the article. So I literally Googled something to prep for the next day and I was the first hit. Isn't that crazy? I keep thinking about that. That's like, it's just very, like, that's very surreal. Mm -hmm. Like out of all the people in the world. Yeah. That's amazing. So I thought it was funny that I was trying to find the answer and I clearly already had the answer. Yeah, that was my fun story. And then I have a question, but do you have any fun stories you would like to share? I know you saw Hamilton. I did. We were in New York City this past weekend. So my family and I, it's the first time we've all been together in New York in five years, which is hard to believe. And it's very different with preteens versus teenagers, but we had a lot of fun and Hamilton was worth every effort at seeing it on Broadway. I'm just phenomenal. And then the irony is I flew back to New York two days later for the influencers dinner. Oh, right. With John. Yeah. Which I did last night, which was amazing. I met such amazing human beings and people that were in different fields. And the irony is the only person who guessed. Who all was there? There were artists. There were chief marketing officers for, you know, major brands like recognizable brands. There was a cardiologist who was in the midst of the pandemic, like hitting New York City, who was absolutely brilliant and people just in different fields, but all really interesting. Like there was a guy who'd been a record producer for like Biggie and Pink and I mean, just such a diverse group of people, but no egos. Everyone was lovely and you were not allowed to give your last name or what you did. So we were all interacting and then went about putting a meal together and then sat and had a meal. And then we went around the table trying to guess what everyone did. And the person who guessed correctly what I did turned out to be the cardiologist, even though we had not even talked about any of these things. And he was just such a cool person. Like I would never have guessed he was a cardiologist because of his personality. He was just kind of more like free spirited and relaxed and not nearly as intense as most of the other people. So I had an amazing evening. But I was up really, really late for me and then was up at four o'clock in the morning. And I'm, I'm working on a solid like four hours of sleep. So I'm sure tonight I will crash. But right now I'm running on adrenaline. It was an incredible experience. And I told John that you said hello. That makes me so happy. I, I love hearing about those events. I really want to go to one as well. John keeps sending me all the dates. I'm like, I'm going to come to one. I promise. Yes. It was a lot of fun. And and I guess the thing that was really interesting was one of the, we thought was participants turned out to be his mom, who was so lovely. And so I got to meet her and she was visiting from Israel. It, it's interesting when you see people in like their natural habitat, because this was actually a dinner at John's house. You know, he was totally gracious and very supportive. And I went home with a signed copy of his most recent book. And his dad was this incredible artist and went home with a book of his father's. So it was like all in all, just a really incredible, like less than 24 hour experience. But yeah, no more New York travel for a while. That is amazing. John and I have been bouncing off ideas. I don't know if we're going to do this. We've been thinking we should start a podcast or something just because we talk about all of these crazy random topics. Like, I mean, he's so well connected. I just feel like there's a lot that we could do. <laughs> so that's so exciting. Wow. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really great experience. Well, for listeners, we'll put links in the show notes. Cynthia and I have both had John on our shows. So we will put links to the episodes that we had with him. His book, You're Invited, is super cool. It's all about how 
well, I think the subtitle is something about like the art of cultivating influence, but it's about how people cultivate influence. It's about how people become like respected leaders with communities and basically leaders of groups and things like that. It's really interesting. It's human psychology. So why people do what they do. So yeah. What was really interesting was that only a few people in the room knew who he was, but they still came to this dinner, which I thought was so cool. Because someone said to me, like, how do you know John? And I, I said, oh, well, you know, through my friend Melanie, but I've also had him on my podcast. You know, he made sure that, you know, he's like, if you ever need any support in your business or you have questions, you know, I'm here for you. I think it's a really phenomenal way to network with people because you're so disarmed because you're not allowed to like lean into what's easy, meaning like talking about your work or, you know, leading with your title, whatever it is that however people lead, that's not the way that I am. But when you're making a meal with people, I mean, you really just get very relaxed, invested in the process. And so we even helped clean up. We even did dishes. So everyone was part of the making the meal, cleaning up of the meal. It was a really delightful evening. That's so fun. It's nice for him too, not to have to do dishes at the end <laughs> of all these dinners because he has a lot of them and he, he does them in LA, San Francisco and New York. Well, and I think it's just nice to be, to feel like this is really the first time I've been in New York, maybe a little bit in September when I was there, when I spoke, but this is the first time I've been back in New York where it's felt like the New York I remember. Like people are, I mean, there's still a lot of mask wearing, which that's a whole tangential conversation and there's no judgment. I'm just saying observationally, there was a lot of mask wearing and and people just being conscientious, but people just seemed like happy to be back interacting in person in real life with other humans. Yeah, that's awesome. I should probably say his last name is John Levy. I don't think I said that. He's so smart. And then he was even talking about his siblings, all of whom are incredibly accomplished too. And when we found out his mom was at the table, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. That's so cool. Yay. I love that. My question for you, because this episode airs January 2nd. So this will be the day after New Year's Eve or the day after New Year's Day. Cynthia, do you make New Year's resolutions and do you recommend that people do? You know, I, I think that I personally don't per se change a lot from year to year. I mean, I'm of course open to the possibility, but I try to have a a word of the year. That's what I lean into. And so in some years it's been balance or dedication or whatever I'm leaning into. And so I'm mulling over the idea of what is going to be my focus for 2023. And on a lot of different levels, I think it's probably going to be clarity about where I am in my business and where I am in my personal life. So I do think it's a good idea to evaluate, you know, behaviors, what works, what doesn't work. But to me, I don't like to think of it as like a New Year's resolution because that to me really means a temporary thing. Whereas if I have a focus for the year, that's how I choose to frame it so that it's something I'm going to be consistently working on month to month, day to day. And so clarity is my 2023 word. I'm fairly certain How about you? That is super cool. I like that. That's a very practical, implementable thing that people could do. Maybe I should do that. I don't really. And I think it's because I kind of feel like every day is like a New Year's resolution day. Like I'm like constantly, I have so many dreams and goals and I always feel very inspired and motivated to be doing them. So it doesn't feel like, oh, this is the chance to like start anew. 
I'm constantly like in that vibe. Not to say that people who make growth headspace. Yeah. But I don't mean by that, that people who make New Year's resolutions like aren't, aren't that way. It's just, it doesn't feel like a milestone in my personal life right now. It might change. I'd be really curious though, if people want to tell us their New Year's resolutions. I wonder if the most common New Year's resolutions, like what they are, you know, like the top 10. I would bet one of them's weight loss, but I bet one's probably career related. So I'm like fully adulting now. And between our financial advisor, our financial planner, my CPA, my business, it's like we've gotten very granular. And so for me, I, I think part of the clarity piece for me, just for full transparency, is that we've gotten really, really, really specific in my business about where my energies go, where they do not. I'll give you an example. As I'm sure it happens to you, you get asked a lot to do press, you get asked a lot to do guest podcasts. And I was finding that I was spending so much time supporting other people's podcasts that I wasn't I wasn't creating the space for me to be able to to be in my business and not be like stressed going from one thing to another. And so one of the rules that I created with my team was that I only do two guest podcasts a month and I could easily do 20. And so it's one of those things where we've gotten very specific about what metrics, what's their audience like, is it a good fit? And that's made me very happy because coming off of the book launch, I have been just so, this year has been wonderful, but exhausting. And it's not a pace I want to keep up. So this is not to suggest my podcast is going anywhere or this podcast is going anywhere. I'm just talking about guest podcasting. And is it in my best interest to be over committing myself? So as an example, we've already filled the two spots in December. We filled the two in January. Now we're working on February that has allowed me to feel like I have a little bit more breathing space. And so we're doing things like that because that serves my higher purpose. Then I can devote more time to my business and not feel super stressed, which has been my baseline this whole year for sure. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's amazing. And I've, that's something I've been really working on as well is you want to just say yes to everything, but you can't. And so you need to know <laughs> when to say no and that that's okay. Yeah. Well, and it, it's interesting when you really start getting granular about metrics and, you know, who is their their audience? Is it really serving my best interest and and their own to have me on? And, you know, we've had to politely say no to a lot of opportunities because I, I either don't want to be traveling all the time. That's another thing. Getting very clear about what speaking events I'm going to do and what are the things that are going to lead to more opportunities and understanding that, and you and I both know this, that our our time is valuable, as is everyone's. But does it serve me to be on planes and flying all over if it's really not laser focused on what I'm working towards? So that's that's the one thing I would say, clarity. Yeah, I think that's great. I take AG1 several times a week after working out and when I'm ready to break my fast. And it really makes me feel unstoppable. I love to add it to a protein smoothie or actually will drink it with filtered water. And I love both variations. My 17 year old also enjoys AG1 after a workout to ensure he stays really well hydrated. A great deal of what I focus on in my personal life is ongoing gut health improvement. And I do feel fundamentally that AG1 has contributed significantly to improvements in my gut health over the last three years. 
I feel as if the key health benefits from multivitamins, minerals, pre and postbiotics all work together synergistically to improve my gut microbiome. And AG1 is way more than just greens. It's important to note that it's made with 75 super high quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food source ingredients that deliver incredible benefits to the gut microbiome, as well as sleep support, assistance with energy, and so much more. So if you want to take full ownership of your health, today is a good time to start. Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. I find that these five free travel packs are so convenient when you're traveling. In fact, I was in Los Angeles last week and I used one each day that I was away. Go to athleticgreens.com slash ifpodcast. That's athleticgreens.com slash ifpodcast and check it out. Alrighty, shall we jump into everything for today? Absolutely. So to start things off, this is actually some feedback from a listener. We recently were discussing toxic hair products and whether or not there were options for coloring your hair. And we provided some brands and we just got some quick feedback from Diane and the subject is better hair products. And she says, hi there. Just wanted to remind folks about the EWG website. Listening to your last podcast, someone asked about less toxic hair color slash care. I've been looking for a while and I found a few cheaper brands of hair shampoos and conditioners as I like to switch them often. Herbal Essence has some that rated low. Obviously, the scented ones rate a bit higher. Unscented Castile Soap is a one. I'm just going to insert something. This is Melanie talking. I am obsessed with unscented Castile Soap. I use it for everything. Do you use it, Cynthia? I do. I use it in the shower to take my makeup off and the sink to like wash my hands. I mean, that stuff is just amazing. And it lasts a while. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it's incredible. I think you can also use it for like the dishwasher and clothes if you make certain concoctions, but I haven't done that. She says, I'm sure there are more, but I can't get into my personal list on the EWG website. I also found a pump hairspray that smells edible. It's raspberry and reminds me of one from the 80s that I used to use, but this is much friendlier and far less toxic. It's made by All Nutrient, which is local to me, but I see they sell it on Amazon. I also tried a brand called, I think it's QET, and this sample they sent, but it was the size of a paperclip. And despite my toddler sized hands, I couldn't even spray the thing. As far as color and lighting, I'm with you. I asked my three hairdresser friends to research this and find the least toxic slash gentlest kinds, but no luck yet. Love listening to and learning from you and Cynthia. XOXOX. I'll just comment if listeners check out that other episode, we did list quite a few dye brands that were options. And I would actually love if people do have experience with non-toxic hair dye, I would love to hear if people have found brands that they like, because it's definitely one of the areas where there's doesn't seem to be a lot of options. So I'm surprised we didn't mention the EWG. Definitely the EWG is amazing. Yeah. Their Skin Deep app is certainly very helpful. And Diane, thank you so much for sharing those. It gives us more options to consider. And and listeners, if there are other brands that you like using that are cleaner, you know, certainly pass them along. I think it's, to me, it is, it is a work in progress. Hair is my pain point. I'm very transparent about that, but that does not mean that there aren't wonderful options that are out there. Like I'm just happy I'm using argon oil, which is super helpful for the frizz that I experience about eight months out of the year here in very humid, hot Virginia. Yeah, I 
I'm having flashbacks to growing up in Memphis and the hair situation. I didn't realize you grew up in Memphis. I thought you grew up in Atlanta. Yeah, well, I was here till I was 10. And then I was in Memphis my formative years of 10 until 17. So middle school and high school, (laughs) elementary school, part of it. What's interesting is out of the entire timeline of my life, I've lived in Memphis the least compared to Atlanta and Los Angeles. Memphis feels like where I've lived the longest because it was when I was, you know, growing up. So. So cool. Little known facts. I know. Shall we go on to our next question? Sure. This is a question from Kara and it says, new study found to increase risk of early mortality with fasting. Please interpret. Hi, I saw this post on Instagram from Fasting MD. The study is referenced in the show notes. She mentions, I love this way of life. I typically fast while I'm seeing patients because I know my brain is more clear and I'm more focused. It's usually about 18 hours. I've recently tried to snack at 2.30 to take probiotics for leaky gut, but I just don't like the way I feel less on if I do have a snack. After months of trying to figure out my gut issues, I went to a functional medicine practitioner based on your advice. It was the best thing I've ever done. I had no idea how not normal my bathroom experiences were, but also the amount of mental exhaustion from worrying and trying to figure out what it was that I ate that caused the issues. I tried eliminating every food category with very little improvement. So to the listeners out there who this is ringing true for, go get a specialist to guide you. I am a healthcare practitioner and I couldn't solve it on my own. I'd love to hear your opinions about the study, Kara. Awesome. Well, Kara, thank you so much for your question and your experience. And I will just comment with the probiotic snack thing. I don't know which probiotic you're taking, but a lot of probiotics, you could take it with your meal or possibly even on an empty stomach. I would just look at your probiotic again and see if it indicates that it needs to be taken with food, but I feel like most probiotics you could take on an empty stomach. So that might be an option. And then also, thank you for sharing your experience and your openness about, you know, being a healthcare practitioner and realizing that you can still benefit from, you know, a third-party perspective guiding you. That's super super amazing. So the study that she referenced is called Meal Skipping and Shorter Meal Intervals Are Associated with Increased Risk of All-Cause and Cardiovascular Disease Mortality Among U.S. Adults. It was published August 10th, 2022 in the Journal of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. It was a prospective study. It looked in retrospect at a lot of people, a total of 24,011 adults who had participated in surveys about food intake and eating behavior using 24-hour recall from 1999 to 2014. And what it did was it looked at a lot of things, but one of the main things it looked at and why everybody is talking about this is it looked at the role of meal frequency and how it related to cardiovascular disease and mortality. And they separated it into different like options. So there were people that skipped breakfast, people that skipped lunch, and people that skipped dinner. So they found that people who skipped breakfast had a higher cause for CVD mortality compared to those who didn't. And then people who skipped lunch and people who skipped dinner had a higher cause for all-cause mortality. And so, of course, you know, it has a really scary headline, which is annoying, and we can break this down. I mean, the headline makes it look like it is literally the meal skipping and the shorter meal intervals, because they also looked at how 
often people were eating and they looked at that association. So in the title, of course, they say that that is leading to an increased risk of these diseases and death. But what did it actually find? So what's interesting is it was looking at a lot of characteristics of people. So it wasn't just the meal intake. So the people who did not eat three meals per day, because the majority of the people, so over half of the people were eating three meals per day, the people who weren't, so their general characteristics, they were more likely, so it's a list, they're more likely to be younger men, non-Hispanic black, less education, lower family income, smokers, heavy alcohol drinkers, higher physical activity, lower total energy intake, lower diet quality, food insecure, and they snacked more. So what's really interesting about this is basically there was a lot of confounding factors happening in these people who were skipping meals. So it's really, really hard to say that it was the meal skipping that was the cause of this when there were so many other things going on unhealthy related habits that seem to associate with it. Also of interest of note, and I would actually be really curious, I would be super curious if this got redone now, if it would be a little bit different because this occurred, like I said, from 1999 to 2014. So intermittent fasting has, I feel like really become more popular probably in the last decade. So kind of near the end of this study is when intermittent fasting started becoming more popular. So during the time of the study was definitely the time when we were all told that breakfast is the most healthy meal of the day. So a lot of people who are skipping breakfast, especially during this time, might have had other unhealthy habits or on the flip side, people who are eating breakfast might more likely have had healthy habits. So it's hard to associate causation from correlation is my point. So Yes. The takeaway is that this was not cause and effect. This did not look at people's blood sugar levels. It did not look at an individual fasting and see what was happening in their body. It literally just looked at thousands of people. What are they doing? How are they eating? And then what was their cardiovascular risk and their mortality risk? One last note about it. Dietary recall studies can be a little bit problematic. I even heard Peter Atia say on an episode that he like doesn't even ever consider dietary recall studies because we're just so bad (laughs) with recalling. So for example, in this study, so from the original group of people, they removed 3,136 participants due to implausible total energy intake, meaning what those people reported like didn't make sense realistically. Like there was really probably no way they were actually eating that. So if there were 3,136 people that were clearly overwhelmingly wrong in what they were saying, it makes you curious about the people that were included. So yes, so takeaways, dietary recall study issues, the timing of when this occurred during a time when fasting has been seen not seen as a healthy practice. And then the confounding factors I think is huge. And then lack of actual cause and effect, causation versus correlation. So not to say that there's not valuable information here, but those are my thoughts on this study. Cynthia, what are your thoughts? I agree with everything that you've said. I, I think this is the challenge with nutritional research on a lot of levels. Patients oftentimes do not want to fully disclose what they're eating. They're, and it's not to suggest that that's per se not kind of human nature, but more often than not, I know when I ask for diet recalls, sometimes I, I fervently believe that people tell me what they think I want to see or want to hear 
And so, you know, nutritional research in and of itself is challenging. Number two, I do think that there are many issues with looking at research over a long period of time, as you very appropriately mentioned. We didn't know the insulin sensitivity of these individuals. It's my understanding from the study that it was a fairly unhealthy population that they were looking at. And so, does it mean that there's more research that can be done? Absolutely. But as you appropriately stated, correlation does not mean causation. And so that's why it's it's important. And it's and really this is one of the challenges I have with the media is that they don't know how to properly interpret research. And what they do is they like sensationalization. And so they'll throw out these articles. You know, there's one in the New York Post that I got tagged in all over social media. And people are saying, oh, well, you know, this is going to hasten your morbidity and mortality. And I was like, hey, time out. Let's look at who sponsored the study. Let's look at the data. Let's look at the high quality of research. We know that randomized control trials are the gold standard. And obviously, that's not what that's not what we're looking at here in this instance. And so I think it just really speaks to the fact we need more information. We need more research to look at this. But epidemiologic research in general, looking at you know, different types of research. Nutritional research can be particularly challenging on a lot of different levels. And so I think it just remains to be seen. But if we're looking at an already unhealthy population, it's very hard to extrapolate and then say this is applicable to everyone. Hopefully that's clear. Yeah. So for example, what I would love for them to have done, which they could have done. So it's, (laughs) I don't know, it's a little bit annoying. They could have separated it out because I mentioned all of those factors about people who were not eating three meals per day, what they were more likely to be. So if I would be super curious if they separated out the people who were skipping a meal by any one of those confounding factors to see if there's a difference. So if maybe since it's food related, they could have done it by the food stuff. So they could have split it by like lower diet quality and food insecurity and seeing if you separate it that way, do you still see that pattern? Like you could filter the data a lot of different ways and I bet you would have seen a lot of different things. So it is what it is. It's just a beginning point to really look at things. And and the other piece is that, you know, probably our listeners and ourselves, we don't eat a standard American diet and we recognize now how inflammatory and problematic the standard American diet is because it's highly processed, hyperpalatable, too many carbohydrates, too many wrong types of fats, too little protein. And and that doesn't help metabolic health at all. So there's so many different things that usually when I'm looking at these kinds of articles, I always want to know like what were they eating? Because I think that has a large, a large impact in the results that they're they are reporting. Yeah, it was interesting. I was actually thinking about that when I was reading the article because for diet quality, they actually broke down how they determined that, but they didn't give specifics. It was basically like it was like a dozen categories of components of food, like fruits, vegetables, fatty acids. It was like a dozen of them. Salt, sodium. Even within that, there's so much debate about diet So I find it interesting that even ranking things by diet quality, I mean, there would be nuance and debate within that. And then one other little note I did want to point out. So I looked at the original post that she referenced on Instagram. I thought this was interesting. Do you know the fasting MD? She follows you. I do. I do. I think she's a fan of circadian fasting. That's kind of her cornerstone. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. So I don't 
know if she did this on purpose. I'll just assume she did not. But it was a good moment that I thought was a good thing to draw attention to because this goes back to like really encouraging listeners to look at the source material, especially with things like this where it gets into social media and the news. And this is a very small thing, but I still think it's telling of what is happening all the time. So for example, she mentioned what I mentioned about how the participants who are skipping meals were more likely to be all of these other factors, which are mostly unfavorable in that they are associated with lesser health outcomes. She listed the entire list, but she left out one, which was the positive one. (laughs) She left out higher physical activity. And so it could have been an accident. So I'm not saying it was on purpose, but I think it's a really good example of, because I read it and I was like, wait, I was like, but higher physical activity was also one of the things on there. So I think it's a good example of even when somebody says, like even me right now (laughs) saying what's in the study, like go read the original study because I think every time you hear not from the actual source material, you're getting a filtered bias version of it from me, from everybody, even from you. Like when you read it, you're going to give it your own filter and bias. So the most unbiased version you can get is probably reading the original one. I think that's important. I mean, we're realists. Like I may not be able to read every single piece of research that's out there, but certainly the ones that are intriguing and really relevant, looking at the sample size. I mean, just looking at basic tenets of the research that was done, I think can be very helpful. And I have to believe if fasting MD is anything like my team, sometimes they're so like quick to get content up that sometimes things get missed. So maybe that was unintentional. But I know that Amy's, it's Amy Shaw. I know that her content tends to be surrounded around honoring circadian biology as it relates to fasting. Awesome. Yeah. And again, it probably was unintentional, but it was completely separate from her. It was a moment where I realized again, like how important it is to, you know, go look at the original stuff if you have the time and energy and it's something that you are interested in. Hi friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands, and it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like a hundred brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hacked. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, 
and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order so you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes, all the time, with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes, because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous, and they don't say this on the website, so I reached out to them, and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to melanieavalonscloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at melanieavalonscloset.com. That's melanieavalonscloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's melanieavalonscloset.com. Shall we go on to our next question? Sure. So we have two questions that are sort of related. So I thought we could answer both of them. So the first one comes from Kimla. The subject is one meal a day. Does it matter? And Kimla says, I hear a lot of disagreement about what really defines one meal a day. And Cynthia, I'm, I'm just laughing because I think I mentioned before, you know, we've had like the great one meal a day debate on this show. Like Jen and I, have debated the definition of one meal a day at length. It became a whole thing. So what really defines one meal a day? And I wonder why so, <laughs> and I wonder why so many people debate this. Is it just a label that people want to place on their fasting pattern? According to Jen, I adhere to one meal a day. But if I use Melanie's definition, then it would only be sometimes. What I do know is that I typically fast for 21 hours. My eating window varies daily based on how hungry I am. Sometimes I have a five-hour window and sometimes two hours. I do use an app called Life on Android to track my fasting time since I've only been doing IF since June, and I always forget what time I quit eating the night before. I think I've gotten off track of what my question was now. Basically, does it really matter if you truly eat one meal a day or is the fasting window the focus? When I start reading a lot about one meal a day or listening to all the debates over one meal a day, and by the way, she's calling it OMAD. She says, I start to get a little obsessed about how much I should or should not be eating during my window and if I can have a snack or need to cluster all my food. I have noticed this tendency. So instead, I really just try to pay attention only to how I'm feeling. This has been working great so far. I eat ice cream most nights after dinner, which makes me so happy. IF is a keeper in my book. Thank you for all the information. The podcasts and resources have been great tools, and I love this way of life. I have never lost weight so effortlessly. No special foods, no containers. I don't have to pack and drag food all over with me. I never feel hungry, and my crazy sugar cravings have disappeared. Thank you for clarifying this concept. 
And then we have another question from Nancy. The subject is one meal a day, question mark. And Nancy says, I'm a new IFer and I've been doing a 16-8 fast. I read here a lot about having one meal a day during that eight-hour feeding window, which seems to contradict other things I read or hear about eating all of one's calories within that eight-hour feeding window. I basically don't understand what it means to eat one meal within that eight-hour window. Does it mean that you can eat one meal, say, at 12.30 p.m., a big lunch, or 7.30 p.m., a big dinner and snack for the rest of your feeding window? And if you do only one meal, what is the benefit of that versus spreading out your eating window within your eight-hour window? I like to have a lunch at 12.30 and a dinner at about 7.30. Is there a reason I shouldn't do that? Thanks. Before you jump in, Cynthia, I will I'll give you some uh, recap of Jen and I's thoughts on this and what the great debate was, which in the show notes, so the show notes will be at iapodcast.com slash episode 298. We will put a link to the great debate, the great one meal a day debate episode that I have with Jen. It's ironic or it's interesting because Jen and I typically eat over the same amount of hours-ish. So it's typically like a probably an average of a five-hour eating window, probably four to six hours. The difference is that Jen has a pattern where she has a snack and then she like doesn't eat and then she eats her meal later. Whereas I eat the entire time straight through, <laughs> like the entire four or five hours. It's a very long, drawn out pattern. Listeners probably already have it memorized. Like I eat my cucumbers and I drink my wine and then I'm cooking my food and then I eat my food, which is like my scallops, my protein, and then I eat a lot of fruit for quite a while. And so our big debate was I was saying for Jen, I was like, yours is like one meal a day and a snack because you're having a snack and then you're like not eating and then you're eating. And I was like saying for mine that it's one meal because it's like being at a really long dinner where I'm constantly eating. So Kimla's question about like, why does it matter? I really don't think it does. Like, (laughs) It's more just the semantics of it. Although that said, for Nancy, I don't really know anybody who would consider like an eight-hour eating window at one meal a day. That's pretty long. So I can share more thoughts, but Cynthia, what are your thoughts on the semantics of one meal a day? Does it matter? What do you call it? All the things. Oh, goodness. I feel like I'm stepping into a landmine. So Kemla, Kemla and Nancy, thank you for your questions. You know, first and foremost, I think it's important to, if you're metabolically healthy, to intuitively eat. And so when Kemla asks about some days when she has one meal versus other days she eats more than one meal, I think there's nothing wrong with that. In my estimation, one meal a day is exactly that one meal a day. When I think about Melanie's methodology and how she chooses to have like a wider feeding window, a wider eating window, I guess that's maybe the way to call it. I kind of differentiate that. I mean, that to me is different. I think we can get caught up in semantics. I I would say the same thing about when people ask, does this break my fast? And then we get like nuanced and granular and everyone's stressing. And I'm like, really what we should be focused on is determining How many meals do we need in our feeding window to get our protein in? That's the first thing. I think that's very important. For some people, if you're a unicorn and you can eat a huge meal and have 100 grams of protein, more power to you. I'm not that person. I divide my food, my meals into two, at least two, if not three meals to get my protein in. Number two is 
I think it's important to vary what we do. I, I think most of us need to do that. Now, do we have unicorns? Absolutely. And that's a loving word. When I say unicorn, each one of us are individuals. Each one of us needs something a little bit different based on our own needs, our personal professional needs, and that's totally okay. Women that are still getting a menstrual cycle really should fast for their cycle. Women that are in perimenopause and menopause need to be careful about overfasting. And I'm starting to see a lot of this women that are irrespective of life stage, but they are having very rigid rules about when they eat, how much they eat, a rigid fixation. And I do think just one meal a day is, is a problem. I think it's fine every once in a while. And let me be clear, what Melanie is defining as what works for her, she's getting plenty of protein in and that, that feeding window. If you're just having one meal that has 30 grams of protein, you are chronically under eating. And that is something I get concerned about. There's zero judgment. Each one of us has to decide what works for our bodies. But if you're chronically under eating and you're chronically under eating protein in particular, and you are a woman north of 35 or 40, you're putting yourself at risk for metabolic inflexibility. And, and that's that's what I want to just state. I recognize not everyone may like that opinion, but I do, I do feel that it's important to at least interject. Can you get your protein in, in your feeding window? Do I have one meal a day when I've been traveling or maybe I went on vacation and I ate too much? Sure. But do I do that every day? No. But do we need to, do we need to split hairs about OMAD? OMAD to me is one meal in a feeding window. It is not a, like a wider feeding window like what Melanie does. To me, I don't think of that as OMAD. I just think... Melanie has a, a gradual feeding window. How's that? Is that a good way of describing it? So it's so funny. So I guess I, well, first of all, super glad that you drew attention to, I think the crux of the issue with the one meal a day of getting in the, the protein intake. So yes, that's definitely the major focus there. I guess the reason I feel, I feel like I'm flashbacks to me and Jen talking. The reason I feel like mine is still one meal a day is it's literally, it's like being at a restaurant. Like it's literally a one meal situation. Like I'm, I start my eating and I'm like having the meal. It just happens to take, because I eat so much volume wise, this is all like whole foods. So it's all pounds of meat, pounds of cucumbers, pounds of blueberries. So it takes a long time to eat all of that. And I like to eat slowly. So it's like eating one long, slow meal kind of like if you went to a restaurant and it was like a four hour dinner type thing. So that's why I feel like it's one meal. Cause it's not like I'm like having a snack and then like not eating and then having a snack and then not eating and then eating. Like I'm ha it's like mealtime. If listeners are curious what I'm doing, I mean, I know people say that you should eat and just eat and focus on just eating, but I'm always reading two books at any one time. So I'm listening to one on audible during the day to prep for the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast. So I'm always listening to one during the day and then at night is when I read. So I'm reading during those four hours and taking notes. So that's why I feel like it's a meal situation. It really doesn't matter because it's semantics. No, no. And I think it's it's like when I, I love that you have this whole process of like creating digestive fire. You know, you're starting kind of slowly and then building up to this crescendo and then it comes back down. For me, it's two boluses of food, but I do know there are a lot of people out there that have differing interpretations of OMAD, and it's not that one is right and one is wrong. I think that to me, it makes sense to say OMAD is one meal, one food bolus. And you know, if you have two meals in your 
feeding window, great. But I don't think it should be a source of stress. Like ultimately eating less often should not be causing you more stress. Like really and truly. Like we we have enough stress in our lives. We don't need to add more stress, stressing about definitions of things. I agree. I would comment that like an eight hour eating window, like what Nancy is doing, I don't see how that would really be one meal. Right, right. It really should be too. I mean, I'll give you a prime example. I traveled yesterday. I traveled this morning to come back from New York. And today is a much wider fasting window because I literally have not been able to stop and eat. So when I'm done with this podcast, I will go eat and I'll probably divide my protein into two portions because I'll probably eat a little bit and then a little bit more before the day, before I would close my feeding window just to make sure I get enough protein in. Gotcha. Yeah. That also goes back to knowing yourself like, and the unicorn comment and things like that. I do so well with like just a massive, massive bolus of protein all at once. You know, for a lot of people, I understand they can't handle that. Like they would need to separate it. So really is about knowing yourself. You commented on this, but that's what I really love about Kimla's observation. Like she seems to be very intuitive with how she feels. So yeah, so I think not getting lost in the semantics and, you know, like Cynthia said, stressing about the definitions and all of that. There's really no need to just focus on what you need to get out of your eating window. I think that's important because one of the things that I get the sense of is that there's anxiety around rules and there's anxiety around lifestyle changes and that's definitely not what we want. We don't want to create more anxiety. We actually want fasting or digestive rest. Like you do 12 hours of digestive rest. Like it really should not be an added stress to your life. And for those of you that are newbies, you know, certainly lean in. There's so many great podcasts like over the last several years that Jen and Melanie did and and Melanie and I have been doing since May. And there's so much great information. You know, our books are great sources of information as well. Don't let it be a stressor. Like just the concept of intuitive eating, intuitive fasting may not be accessible for everyone right now, but that's what we hope you get to a point where you can really lean into what makes your body feel good. You know, it's that you're an NF1, this experimentation that goes on in terms of lifestyle changes. Like I know that I, the most I can eat in terms of a protein bolus is about 60 grams. That's a very, like, that's a good amount of protein for me in one meal, if I do 75, I'm probably going to be uncomfortable. So 60 grams is what I've been able to work up to, but that didn't start right away. That was something I worked up to. And we know most women are eating probably 40, maybe 50 grams of protein a day. Most of us are not eating enough. So just be consistently working towards goals. And that's really, that's the best that we should be able to do, right? Yeah. Yeah. I could not agree more. I find it so interesting too. I would be, man, if I just ate like 40 grams, like you were saying, I I would be starving, (laughs) starving. Uh, I still, every time I go out to dinner, I get, I get an entree. Now it's my dessert. Another round of meat. So good. (laughs) So, so good. I love that. I, you know, it's funny, Ben Azadi, who I know that you have recently recorded with, Ben gets two dinners. And so my husband, the first time. Oh, he does too? Yes. And Ben is like very tall and very lean and we were in Utah together, my husband and I and, and his fiance and Ben, and we're having dinner and, and his fiance, Natasia was like, watch. And Ben's like, I'll have two dinners. And they were like, what? And he's like, oh yeah, we'll have two dinners. And my husband and I were like, what's wrong with that? Like we eat one good sized meal. Does he have them at the same time or does he get them back to back? Oh, at the same time. Like I did on my birthday dinner. 
Mm-hmm. And he ate it all. Like we were like, he's like a teenage boy. <laughs> he has that capacity. I was like, that's amazing. I will get two entrees or I will get an entree. And then for dessert, when everybody gets their dessert, I get another entree. And I will say, oh, so a little, little tip for listeners. If anybody else wants to do this, <laughs> I don't know if anybody else wants to do this, but if you do, especially if you're like keto or low carb, which I'm actually not, ironically enough, but it can be really fun to get like an appetizer, you know, like another round of sashimi or another steak for dessert. Let the kitchen know. So like if you're there late, they'll often shut down the entree part of the kitchen early. So if you do want that for dessert, you need to let them know earlier on that you're going to be ordering that. Just a little tip for like the one other person that wants to do this. (laughs) Alrighty. That's a good tip. They've cut it close sometimes because I've waited too long to tell them. (laughs) <laughs> and you also eat late at night. So they're probably like, we're done. And then Melanie's like, no, I need more food. Yep. Yep. So like if you get an appetizer for dessert, like the tartare or the carpaccio, that comes from one part of the kitchen that might've shut down. And if you get an entree for dessert, that comes from another part of the kitchen that might've shut down. The appetizer part of the kitchen is actually more likely to have shut down, I think. Now I was thinking back to my serving days. That might not actually be true because oftentimes the dessert station is the same person as the appetizer station. In any case, the point is ask your waiter or let them know. Absolutely. Should we answer one more question? Sure. Our next question is from Spencer. Subject is breaking fast. Is there a proper way to break a fast? I feel like I want some items that are still a little unhealthy and seem to not really be losing weight on the scale. Maybe I need to also throw mine away, but it got me thinking. I'm assuming he's talking about the scale. I keep hearing about there being a proper way to break a fast. Any thoughts on what I should be eating when I break my fast to provide me with the best results? I'm currently listening to the podcast and maybe haven't seen this question yet. Thank you. All right, Spencer. Thank you so much for your question. So it's interesting because we have talked about this question on the show seeing as how many episodes we've had, probably multiple times, but I think there's a unique spin we can give on answering at this time because normally when we have answered this question, I think it's been more in the context of like how to ease your digestion, how to help heal leaky gut. So, you know, opening with things like bone broth and with gentle things you can digest. I don't know that I've given the perspective before of how to break your fast with specifically weight loss being the goal. And so something that occurred to me is that I think, and this is very individual, I think knowing how your body responds with insulin, you don't have to actually know the insulin number, but your perception of responding with blood sugar swings or not to different foods can be very helpful in the ordering of your food. Because for example, I mentioned before my my order, my crazy order, Oh, I'm so happy that we're answering this in here because this works so well together. The reason I do that order is very specific. It's what provides me, well, A, I can digest it well, but it provides me the most, I always wonder, is it satiety or satiety? I say satiety, right? But is it? can it be both? I say satiety and I can assure you that after doing the audio book for my book, the producer made sure that every word was enunciated and properly like my dick. I mean, everything it's yes. You say it correctly. Great. I have the most satiety with my personal pancreas and my personal insulin and my personal 
blood sugar regulation. When I open with the wine and cucumbers, like that doesn't make me ravenous. It doesn't make me have blood sugar drops. Then I eat the massive amount of protein, which I find very satiating. And then the reason I actually eat a ton of fruit at the end is because I have found that that mitigates what I either perceived as reactive hypoglycemia when I was doing low carb or might not have actually been reactive hypoglycemia. It might've been, we talked about it before. There's a name for it. I think it's like idio. It's basically feeling like reactive hypoglycemia, but it's actually not. You actually have normal blood sugar levels, but you feel like your blood sugar is dropping. When I was doing low carb and eating a massive amount of protein, I would be really satiated and then I would go to bed and then I would wake up starving. And I think it was from my my blood sugar probably dropping from the high protein intake. So I do that pattern because it allows me to feel full, feel nourished, and I don't get swings later. So I think knowing yourself and experimenting to find what can you open your window with that will, for you, keep you full and satisfied can be very helpful. So like for a lot of people, if they were to open with a simple carb type situation, they might get a massive blood sugar swing that might make them, you know, ravenously hungry and make them overeat. Even things like alcohol. Some people, the timing of the alcohol, depending on where it is, depending on their own alcohol metabolism, might make them eat more or less, depending on that. The timing of if you're eating fat or not can make a difference. So basically, I would focus, Spencer, on finding the way that opens up the fast that provides you with the most satiety. Cynthia, what are your thoughts? I am a fan of leading with protein into opening up your feeding window. Sorry, that would be my dog groaning underneath my feet in case anyone's wondering. I think leaning into protein is important both for blood sugar support and also for satiety. So for me, it's either protein and non-starchy carbohydrates or it's protein and healthy fats. And that's typically how I break my fast. I just think protein is a really important macronutrient and one that I spent a lot of time talking about. I spent a lot of time discussing examples of protein and non-starchy vegetables could be, you know, it could be chicken, it could be bison, it could be beef. You could have, you know, arugula or spinach, or you could have broccoli or cauliflower versus, you know, sometimes when I sit down to have a protein and fat meal, it might be a piece of salmon you know, fattier cut of meat. Those are the things I kind of lean into because it fulfills my needs, you know, in terms of getting my macronutrients in, but it also leaves me satiated. I can always tell if I've had, if I haven't gotten those macronutrients right, because I will then be looking for more food when I'm done. But I think some degree of experimentation to find out what works well for you. I have some patients that want to break their fast with bone broth, others that want to take a light salad, kind of like what Melanie does, where she has her cucumbers and her wine, and then she leans into the protein piece. So I would do some degree of experimentation to find out what works best for you. But the protein is is one that I always try to emphasize for most people. Okay. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go. If you would like to submit your own questions for the show, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. You can get all the stuff that we like at ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. And you can follow us on Instagram. We are ifpodcast. I am Melanie Avalon. Cynthia is Cynthia underscore Thurlow underscore. 
think that is all the things. Anything from you, Cynthia, before we go? No, super excited for our upcoming recordings together. And I look forward to getting feedback from listeners. Likewise. And because of when this comes out, Happy New Year to you. Happy 2023. Hard to believe. I know. It's crazy. I'm excited for it though. Me too. All right. I'll talk to you later. Sounds good. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, everything we discussed on this show does not constitute medical advice and no patient-doctor relationship is formed. If you enjoyed the show, please consider writing a review on iTunes. We couldn't do this without our amazing team. Administration by Sharon Merriman. Editing by Podcast Doctors. Show notes and artwork by Brianna Joyner. Transcripts by Speech Docs. And original theme composed by Leland Cox and recomposed by Steve Saunders. See you next week.